You're listening to the Dark Depths Podcast. We would love if you could take a minute out of your day to follow the Dark Depths Podcast on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to our show, or just tell a friend. If you feel up to it, you can also give us a donation on PayPal or support us on Patreon. Don't feel like you have to, though. Our show is always going to be free. That's all the announcements. I hope you enjoy the show. Depth Podcast, your go-to place for the modern and legacy format. I'm one of your hosts, Billy Mitchell, and I am here with the timeless hero himself, Michael Matson. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Doing okay. Been a pretty busy week, uh, but I finally, finally, my uh, the teacher who was out all school year so far has finally come back. Um, he's a little stiff, but he's recovering very nicely from his hip surgery, so I am back down to five classes. And my schedule actually is a lot better than I thought it was, um, just because I, I'm not running around the building all day now. I'm kind of taking my time. I've got the first period of the first half of the day off. I've got the second, uh, the first period of the second half of the day off. Like, it's a really chill schedule, so I'm kind of enjoying myself. Uh, how about you? How's everything going? Uh, the last week has been interesting, some good, some bad, but, uh, you know, I think we have a packed show, so we won't go too far into that. Yeah, we have a lot, and considering the fact that we've got the Legacy Pit open this weekend, I guess, do you call it Legacy Pit open? Do you call it, like, Legacy Pit 2, or what do you, What are you calling it? I'm just calling it the Legacy Pit. Legacy Pit, okay. Yeah, I, I keep wanting to call it, like, the, L, like the LPO, and I'm like, that seems like it's too much, but uh, I'm, I'm excited for it regardless. I mean, like, we, uh, you and I are both going to be playing Legacy, but there is a lot of modern to be had, and know there. Um, there's some RCQ spots open for Atlanta for that in Modern. Um, there's also a Vintage event, which I wanted to play with, which I might still bring cards for just in case uh, if I want to play, if I scrub out a day one of the Legacy event. But it should be a really, really cool weekend for everybody. I'm trying to win that belt. My plan was to play Legacy, or was to play Vintage. If I didn't take two, I told my friend I would play Vintage. Um, cool. But that's a lie, because you now the Modern is an RCQ, so if I don't day two, I'm going to play that, because I think I am going to get to play in a grand total of maybe three RCQs this season, so... Seems about right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, my plan is going to be to go to Atlanta, win an LCQ, uh, Top 64, the dream hack, and then get on the train and just like never have to play an RCQ. But, you know, in case yeah. that somehow doesn't work out for me. Uh, what would you play in Vintage out of interest? Um, Grixis. Okay. Solid strategy. Get some uh, get some tinkering going on, and I'm assuming you try to do like the the, the fun tinker stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think that deck's sweet. I've been playing Blue Red a lot, so I think that's what I would go to. But I have played the the Grixis tinkered list, and I oh, getting to play with like Laia, oh, Lalia. I can't pronounce that name ever. Um, it's super fun, and honestly, just being able to, like, tinker for uh, Citadel or, like, Sphinx of the, what's it, Sphinx of the Steelwind uh, is just, like, insane, so that's a really cool deck to play. Alright, well, enough vintage talk. We should probably talk about Legacy, and I think that's going to be, like, the bulk of our show, um, just because you and I are both playing Legacy this weekend, and hopefully you and I will be making the uh, the finals there, so... Uh, That'd be sick, actually, if, if it was just you and me in the finals. 
Yeah, that'd be that'd be off. Do you think every turn we're like? By the way, this play is sponsored by the Dark Death Podcast. If you're listening to just like every every time, and like we get to have our tokens on the on the play mats, then like that'd be really dope. God, uh, and I could no sir the split super hard and then crush you. I mean, what? I didn't say that. Uh, I mean, I would I would expect you to actually know through the split. Like I wouldn't even do that. I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like I don't think. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I don't think I would offer to split the top eight anyways for this event. Uh, I I could be wrong, but I feel like I wouldn't split unless like I know I'm going to lose, uh, and I don't feel that way about about many matchups. So I think I would no third try to get that belt uh, with uh, you know full full benefits there. Yeah, you would, you probably want to talk about your legacy showcase. Finals, right? Like our showcase what? challenge. Oh, did I do that? <laughs> yeah, you did. Which is like, I feel like every time, you know, for I mentioned this on Twitter too, but like you kind of mentioned, you're like, oh, you know, I don't have enough points, but like, I guess I could probably muster up enough points between now and the event. You're like, then like a day later, you're like, oh, I've got the points. It's like, oh, that's that's cool. And then I like, I kind of forgot you were playing at all. And then I just see the message, like, oh, I think I might be locked for top eight. It's like, oh, okay. Then you're like, oh, I think I lost. I don't think I can make top eight. It's like, okay. Then you're like, I'm in top eight. I was like, oh, cool. That's great. And then, like, I kind of, once again, forgot about it. And then you're like, oh, I'm in the finals now. I was like, what is happening over here? (laughs) So it's like a very um, large emotional rollercoaster for me, but I'm sure for you it's even larger. Uh, No, I mean, I was was pretty calm all day. I I mean, I was pretty mad at myself when I punted, but, um, you know. I punt left and right, so I'm kind of used to it at this point. <laughs> uh, so, what were your matchups on the day? Okay, so, uh, to the surprise of no one, I played Green White Depths. Um, like I said, hadn't really been playing much Legacy. Um, other than, I guess I played, like, you know, six rounds of F&M. And I, uh, over the past two weeks, and I... Just kind of went with trusty uh, green white depths. I wanted to see what all the the hubbub about main deck Menskabu was, so I threw one in the main. I cut Sylvan Library. I played two in the board, which uh, was a mistake. Three Menskabu felt like too many, um, okay. which might sound sacrilegious to some who are playing four in their deck, but I don't know. I don't have brainstorm. It's hard. Um, but anyways, so round one, I played against Lands. Uh, quick two out. Um, Minsk won both games very easily, <laughs> very easily game one. Uh, I think a little bit harder game two. Uh, one of the interesting things about Minsk in that matchup is, of course, they have Caracas and they have acts like, you know, crop rotations to find it pretty reliably. Uh, so sometimes it can get very delayed, but if you're able to like wasteland the Caracas and bog them, then like they just have no way of dealing with Minsk other than Urza Saga. And that's like not a great answer, especially because Mens can just kill the, can kill the tokens because Mens can do everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so then round two, I played against Blue Red Delver, and I lost game one. I we played, I believe it ended up being a ten turn game, and I never saw a second green source after my first one got wastelanded on turn two. Um, mm. So honestly, the fact that it went on that long was like mind blowing to me, and it was kind of frustrating because it was like. I either want to draw a green source or I want my opponent to kill me so we can move on from here. Um, 
But yeah, game two, I killed them with just like Elvish Reclaimer beats. And then game three, I I wanted to ask you about this. My opponent brought in Maddening Hex against me. Would you bring in Maddening Hex? I don't I don't think so. I mean, like, I, I guess the theory is that you can apply pressure early enough and then when you're stabilizing, you're doing it with like swords and prismatic ending. But I feel like you're you're gonna fire those off on times one through three. So I feel like if you do bring in maddening hex, you need to try to slow play your creatures necessarily, which I don't think is great. But I mean, I guess you can try to play like a control game with you. That's not how I would normally play it. I I could imagine it. I it feels really awkward though in my mind. Yeah, like I've had a lot of conversations with people about: Are you supposed to have spell pierce in post board? Are you supposed to have uh, force negation in post board? And it's always hard for me to come up with those answers because, like, you know, I'm not a spell deck. Um, like, I I only play. So I guess I have in my main board. I have about eighteen uh, non-creature spells. Uh, post board, the number stays about the same. So that is kind of high, but like, also. I'm, like, killing you with creatures. And the Maddening Hex can be slow. It was a little bit awkward because, like, I had had a Green Sun Zenith and I was waiting to cast my Green Sun Zenith for Reclaimer until it would be a 3-4 because I didn't want it to die to a boat. But then they played a Maddening Hex and I was like, I wish I'd fired off this Green Sun Zenith. Um, it was interesting. They got me down to 6. I had taken, I think, 2 hits off of the Maddening Hex. Um... And they had lethal in play, and I sorted my merit lage for lethal. But I was just like, if I roll a six off of this swords and die, I'm gonna be so mad. Um, thankfully, I rolled a four, uh, so I went to twenty-two life, and then they died. Uh, nice. Round three, I had to owed blue red Dover. Round four, I played against uh, Nukes Tom on Grixis Tempo, and specifically not Delver, but. I don't think I've ever been, like, Delvered so hard. Um, <laughs> even though there was no days, it was... So, they went, like, turn one Dragon's Rage Channeler, turn two Dragon's Rage, Dragon's Rage, Bobble, Snuff Out, <laughs> Punch You for three, <laughs> Punch You for... Punch You for, <laughs> for nine the next turn, like... Uh, it was just, like, absurd. Anyways, what do they target with the snuff out? Uh, my knight. That's pretty good. Or, sorry, the snuff out was the following turn. Um, sorry, they, they play just baubles on turn... Uh, dragon Fruit Channelers and baubles, and then on turn three, they iterationed into snuff out. <laughs> okay. So that's better than somehow. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I was... Uh, I was pretty tilted after that one. I, you know, I I'm okay losing, but like I don't know the last time a fair deck has beaten me so thoroughly into the ground. And it was both games too. Like it was, I was not remotely in it. Um, but that's okay. I came back uh, refreshed. Played against uh, CFT Sock on their usual <laughs> ephemerate nonsense. Um, game one, Men's Compute did its thing. Uh, game two, they I think they mulliganed a little bit, and then I they. Kind of got color screwed. I went for a prismatic ending on turn one against an abundant growth, which is not usually a play I would recommend, uh, but it like really, really paid off, and so they got kind of buried. Uh, round six, I played against Rhinos. 
game one, they, um, I was like deep in the tank trying to figure out what to do. Like I had a Minskin boo and I was like, okay, like if I play my, like what happens if they make rhinos and then I play my Minskin boo, like, or if I play my Minskin boo, then they make the rhinos and the boo can kill one of the rhinos, but then Mensk dies. Or I was like, okay, well, what happens if they play their own Minskin boo? And I was like, okay, well, what if they play theirs and I play mine? And it's just like deep in the tank for like, I don't know, two minutes trying to figure out like what's the optimal way to do this. Mm-hmm. And finally I came up with whatever my decision was. And then on turn three, they just like played a Simeon Spirit Guide and pass. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, so they just shouldn't have kept this hand. Got it. And then uh, yeah. Minsk ran them over. Uh, game two was way more interesting. Yeah. They actually made rhinos. I had a board with like Reclaimer, Reclaimer, Knight. Uh, we got into this weird situation where they attacked and like I had to block some to not die, but they also had three mana up, so I was like, okay, if they endurance me, then I'll lose all my things. So I had to figure out like how to block but not lose everything, but also not die. Um, but then I was like, okay, if they tab out for endurance, then I can actually make a merit lage here. Uh, but if I make the merit lage first and then they endurance me, then I'll lose um, because I'll lose to the trample. Um, so it was just like a lot of thinking. And they happened to have uh, two endurances, so they were able to like evoke an endurance, make my knight small, and then I like activated the knights, and then they flashed in an endurance, like Ugh. cast it to make my knight small. But then since they were tapped out, I was able to then take the Thespian Sage and Dark Depths I had gotten off of the Knights that time, make the Merit Lage, grow the Knights again, and then untap and place the Jury's Death to get through the Endurance. So it was a really fun, complicated, cool turn. Yeah, um, really neat. Round 7, I played against Green Black Turbo Depths. Um, matchup's really good for me. They still got me in Game 2 because I looked at... Um, I can't remember what they played, but I was like, okay, um, they can't really make a Merit Lage here on turn two, um, but I was wrong. They had double Simeon's, or double um, Elvish Spirit Guide and Crop Rotation, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you uh, <laughs> you got me. Like, I did not see that one coming, um, but it's fine. Uh, game three, I got there. Again, just like having Knight of the Reliquary and Elvish Reclaimer... Uh, and having access to the white cards and that like pseudo mirror is just like so good. It's, it's much easier for me to interact with their cards than it is for them to interact with mine. Mm-hmm. Um, round eight, I played against Allie, who is always the toughest uh, of lands opponents, but thankfully that matchup is you know really good. Um, I did punt in game two, which I was like really mad about. I we got to a point where I was at four life and he had an endurance in play and I had a Minskin Poo, I had an Elvish Reclaimer, uh, sorry, no Minskin Poo, I had an Elvish Reclaimer, uh, I had an endurance in hand that I could cast and I had a fetch land and I fetched for Dryad Arbor to block because I thought about blocking with the Reclaimer uh, but then I was like, okay, if you block me or play an Endurance afterwards, then I, I'm going to lose this Reclaimer and I need this Reclaimer. Um, yeah, I, I did still have the, the Minsk. Um, and I was like, I could flash in the Endurance now and block, uh, but I kind of want the, the Endurance in case you find a Loam. I was like, I could 
block with both, and then I'd probably lose the Reclaimer, but your Endurance is gone, and still I kind of have kind of wasted this Endurance, but maybe getting your Endurance gone isn't a complete waste. Uh, but I was like, oh, I'll just block with Dryad Arbor, and like, well, figure it out from there. And then he uh, Lightning Bolted me, and I was like, yeah, I knew that he played that in his deck. Like, it's not a card I think about lands typically playing, but I was aware mm -hmm. that he had recently had Bolt in his sideboard because you know, I follow his Twitter and I always look at his list, tries a lot of cool things. Uh, so I was really mad about that, but thankfully I got there in game three, which was kind of an interesting game. And um, he, got, he got pretty color-screwed, though, which is, like, a thing that happens surprisingly often in a deck that plays so many lands. Um, yeah. Yeah, he ended up in a spot where it was like, he had like a Tabernacle, a Rashadden port, and like one green source. Um, so I was kind of able to bully him out of things a little bit. Um, but Allie's still great, uh, you know, top 16 finish. Uh, Billy doesn't know this yet, but Allie will be coming on at some point later this year. <laughs> we were talking oh. about it. Uh, cool. I'm just going to go ahead and make that statement because I'm sure Billy won't mind. Uh, nope. <laughs> uh, Looking forward to it. <laughs> so then uh, I got into the quarters. I played against uh, Nammer Squats. It was really funny. I am used to seeing, you know, in the past he was a Hogak, or a Hogak player and then uh, went to Delver and like just nonstop Delver. And I, like, didn't even realize he revealed a Yorion. I just kind of assumed he was on Delver. And it was, like, turn one, and he, like, played a Prismatic Fist or whatever. I was like, oh, I didn't even notice the Yorion. Like, I thought you were on Delver. I was like, you know, 80 cards over there and everything. Um, but, yeah, I beat him pretty quick two games. Uh, Men's Kimbu just carried both. Um, then I went to the semis. Played against uh, Moonstoppy, which is a very, I would say, favorable matchup for me. And got mm. there in two games. Um, no Blood Moons were even cast, which was a little bit weird. But, like, he... Um, it was interesting. In game two, I think both games, he resolved a Trinisphere. In game two, he, like, tried to lock me out under Trinisphere. Then I wastelanded him, and then <laughs> made my land drops. <laughs> so he was locked under his own Trinisphere, and I was not. <laughs> Yeah, so good. Uh, and then we got to the finals, uh, where I was happy to be against my friend Max. And then my friend Max put an underground scene into play, and we stopped our friendship. Uh, and then he killed me on turn one, two games in a row. I mean, we we talked about this during the uh, the episode, the team event, right? Like, this is just like Doomsday is not the deck you're really signing up to play against, so. I mean, obviously, Max is a fantastic player, too, but, like, this kind of puts it on easy mode, I feel like, for Max in, in this finals here. Yeah, definitely uh, <laughs> definitely not a bad spot for him to be in. Um, so, congrats to Max. Um, you know, jokes aside, he's a great guy, um, and I am happy for him. Not as happy for him as I would have been for me, but, you know. Sure, yeah, fair. It's, uh, it's okay. We like Max. <laughs> And I, I, I do want to ask you more questions about your deck, but we do have a bunch of questions we fielded from yeah. Twitter, uh, which we're going to try to ask or answer towards the end of the show. So I, I'll leave questions about, you know, what what do you like? What do you want to change? Stuff like that for right now. Um, but 
Were there any decks that you were interested in from the event? Anything that kind of stood out to you while you were playing? Yeah, so uh, Matt's Sys deck, actually. Um, yes, we've all seen um, Doomsday before. But of note, uh, playing <laughs> now multi-format staple Shieldred, um, whatever the new one's called in the sideboard. The Apocalypse, yeah. Yeah, so hmm. card uh, for those who might not have read it yet. Two black black for a four or five death touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. And whenever an opponent draws a card, you they lose two life. Um, this card's really good against a lot of things. <laughs> like, you know, you, you put this into play against a Delver opponent, what are, they, like, what are they supposed to do? Cast Brainstorm? Yeah. I mean, like, it, it is this really interesting spot, too, because it also has death touch, too. Like... There's a lot of relevant text there, um, and if your opponent does want to, like you said, cost brainstorm, they're going to lose six life. Uh, I had to do that one time. That was not fun. Um, you also do get like the benefit of, you know, you're you are playing your own copies of brainstorm. You're playing your own copies of um, ponder, things like that. So those actually end up being spells that actually gave you life too. So if you need to kind of settle down the board a little bit, you have a four five blocker, which is pretty hefty. And it's going to gain you life, too, as you're trying to assemble your combo. And also, you can just, like, beat face with a 4-5. Like, that's that's big enough that you can clock some people uh, very easily if they, you know, go a little too low on life. Yeah. Um, he said that this card was great for him all day. The plan is to just, like, turbo it out against Delfer. Like, the second you see that, that you have it, try to put it in play. Um, because, you know, it, it will just win the game. Especially... You know, if you're on Delver, you're not keeping in removal against this deck. And especially, like, your removal doesn't kill it anyways, right? Like, if you're on an un Unholy Heat build, that's not in post-board. You might keep Lightning Bolts in for reach, but you still need two of them. Which is hard. I think last time I played against Doomsday, I think I boarded it down to one uh, Lightning Bolt. So, like, I literally just don't have the means to kill this card. So now I'm racing this <laughs> thing that's gaining you and draining me, like... That's not good. Yeah, like, you can race it with Murktide Regent, maybe, uh, and mm -hmm. certainly nothing else. Yeah. So, so like, I, I, unless you're playing, like, Young Pyromancer, like, it's really hard to keep throwing creatures in front of the four-power four body, so uh, it's, it's definitely something difficult to race, I think, for most decks. Yeah. So if anybody is interested in Doomsday, I would definitely take a look at Max's list. Um... Max always has very interesting thoughts. Uh, I know that he released uh, kind of his sideboard plans on Twitter for free this week. So, you know, you can get more detail about his thoughts. Um, like, why is there one Mystic Sanctuary? Yes, it is for the grindy matchups, whatever the grindy matchups means, because it's a very nebulous turn that gets thrown around. But, you know, uh, I'm sure he actually means it and does know what the grindy matchups are. Um, you know, the opposition agents, I think, are huge, and that's a card that's seeing way too much play for uh, for my personal taste. Um, card's really difficult. I don't like it. <laughs> you don't want a crop rotation to your opponent's opposition agent? Man, the first time I sacked a Flagstone's to crop rotation, it got opposition agented. I wanted to cry. Um, that is so good. So much value. Awful. But, but yeah, seriously, Max has put a lot of work into this. Um, I know he has worked with Ethan Fornicelli, a.k.a. Monkeys Can't Cry, a lot on the list. Um, with 
you know, Eason's also had a ton of success with the deck, so definitely, 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 I would check that out um, if you're already a Doomsday player. If you don't know how to play Doomsday, like, don't don't switch <laughs> for this weekend, because it's not going to go well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the deck's great, right? Like, it's, I, it's like one of those decks, I think it's favored against basically everything that's not Delver. So it's like... Yeah. Okay, that's like that's not a bad place to be. Delver's gonna be what, twenty percent of the room? That still puts you at eighty percent, like not bad. No, but this is definitely one of those decks that like punishes you for not knowing the interactions, not knowing the appropriate pile to make, and you know, I think I haven't seen one in a while at least, but I'm used to those giant spreadsheets where it's like, okay, your opponent's playing blue. So this is what you have to watch out for. They're tapped out? Okay, well, in this case, you should go down this line. Okay, well, your opponent's playing Elf, so, like, they might have Mindbreak Trap, they might have Surgical, not Surgical, they might have um, Ravenous Trap. Like, let's go down these rabbit holes of, like, if they have this one, if they have this one, like, you have to know all this stuff, especially in a Comp Ariel event, not not online. Uh, so if you are going to try to figure out this lot, this deck and be able to play it optimally, even, like, relatively op optimally, I guess, like, 90, 90% is fantastic still. Uh, you have to have a lot of these things memorized and understand the rationale, otherwise you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. Also, a note for people trying to beat it, um, with a caveat, maybe you shouldn't listen to me because I've never beaten it. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's not true. I've beaten it with other decks. Uh, yeah. But, like... If you know, if you look at his sideboard, you'll see uh, he's playing Echoing Truth, which is very common. Um, and I have fallen into the same trap that I think a lot of players have fallen into, um, where like you know, my sideboard has often contained anywhere between two and four copies of Deafening Silence. Um, don't do that. Diversify your hate, right? So like, I I realized this actually when we were in Baltimore. It was just like. I had two deafening spheres out, or silences out, and I was like, I'm in such a good place, and then he got echoing truth, and then I lost, and, you know, I just, I think it's better to have a variety, obviously there's other answers too, but having, um, even if your second hate piece isn't necessarily as strong as your first, not losing everything on your board at once is very big. Uh, the other thing is, you know, Max isn't playing any copies, but, like, Sometimes people play Dress Down in their sideboard. You can't really play that in Doomsday because it stops your Oracle. Um, but like mm -hmm. in Ant, they play Dress Down sometimes as an answer for Thalia and Collector Oof and Galactique and all those effects at once. Uh, so I do think having non-creatures is nice, especially because some people are also on cards like Fatal Push. Uh, so having non-creature spells, you know, whether it be Sphere of Resistance, Thorn of Amethyst, I like... You know, maybe I don't want to say curse of silence because that card's bad. Um, yeah, but I'm trying to think of <laughs> trying to think of things that will work. Torpor Orb is great against Doomsday, and if you need help against uh, Death and Taxes, it's great there too. Um, yeah, but just something to keep in good mind. One. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, were there any other decks that stood out to you? Uh, so we've talked about Honorog just like crushing things the past couple weeks. Uh, if we look at the list that Nam played, um, his list is basically an evolved version of Honorog's deck. So Nam came in sixth place. Uh, and if you look at it, it's basically... So the list was designed by Wayne Tussar, 
or I don't want to say design because obviously it took on Rock's initial concept. Um, they, you know, there were plenty of cards they didn't like, such as Terminus, um, generally not a super well-received card anymore in this day and age. So they cut kind of what they saw as the weaker cards and found room for copies of Abundant Growth and copies of Ice Fang Waddle, cards that are known for being very, very good with the card Yorion. Um, so this is a deck that I, I do think you'll see this weekend in various forms, um, right? Like it's, I mean, the deck hasn't been around that long. Uh, I mean, obviously four color control has been around in some variation, but lists that look exactly like this haven't been around that long. So it's hard to know that people will be on it, but it's very strong. It looks very clean. I think it's the kind of magic that appeals to a lot of people. You get to play with a lot of very fun cards uh, that also happen to be very powerful. Like, if you read down this list of cards, I think every one, every card is, like, sick to play with. Like, <laughs> like they're just all bangers. Things like getting to play Expressive Iteration into Prismatic Ending into Minsk and Boo. Like, that, it's good times. Good, clean yeah. magic. Yeah, and, like, this, you mentioned this, too. Like, this is a deck that appeals to a lot of people, and they're was a huge contingent of people who were playing, like, the Bant Uro deck. And one of the big issues that we had with that deck was, like, like how do I win a game in time? Especially in paper. Like, online it's a little different just because there's less shuffling. You don't have to actually manually do it. But if you're trying to do it in, a you know, a 50-minute round, like, there's a lot of times you time out with, with the kill on the board. Uh, Minsk and Boo kind of solves that problem because you can actually win very quickly with... Minsk and Boo, uh, just going, you know, here's four, here's seven, here's ten, you're dead. Uh, so that's something that I think will also kind of, or for me personally, this was that, that was my big concern. Like, now I actually have a way to end this game in without having to go to turns every single round. Uh, that's, that's, I think, going to pull enough people out, especially if the Udelver matchup's decent and everything else uh, matches up pretty well. Like, I'm interested. Yeah, this deck is built to crush Delver for what it's worth. Um, not having Terminus does possibly make it weaker, but I'm not actually convinced because, like, Ice Fang Quaddle is also very good <laughs> against the card Murktide Regent. Um, they both have their pros and cons, honestly. Um, you know, Ice Fang not being complete garbage against, like, a combo deck, I think, is a pretty big pro, uh, but. Also, Terminus not dying to Pyroblast or, like, Lightning Bolt or Unholy Heat is a pro, so... Yeah, you know, like I said, pros and cons, but this deck should still be very good against Delver. Um, also, Minsk and Boot never actually goes 4, 7, 10. It's really just 4 you, 4 you in a different way, 4 you in the first way again, 4 you in the second way. Oh, uh, the game's done? Oh, I was having so much fun. I have all these cards still. What do I do? The card just ends the game so quick. Uh, unless your opponent has Karakas. Honestly, <laughs> I, I like, missed Lethal with Minsk, I think, three times during the <laughs> so far. And it's just, like, still been very impressive in those games. Just, like, I'm like, oh, I could have made a Merit Legion killed you. And it's, like, it doesn't matter because I just killed something and drew four cards, so the game's still over. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. I think that Midas ability is just so crazy. And, like, it, this is, you know... Looking at this deck list, it's right next to Narset. 
which has a static ability that I think is, you know, I think people still kind of forget about the Narset ability more often than we probably should. Uh, the Mythkin Boo ability, I think, is much less annoying, but also just, like, more, like, overtly powerful. Like, the impact it has on a game, I think, um, when you, even if you have the cards to remove Mythkin Boo each and every time, like, you eventually just can't afford to run out of it. And, you know, someone has... I've seen Karakas being brought up as a solution, but, like, it's, it is a solution, but, like, it doesn't feel good having to pay the, the Minsk and Boo tax every, every, uh, single turn, so. Yeah, plus the other issue with Karakas is, like, yes, it's keeping the Minsk from doing anything, but if, unless you actually answer it, it's going to become a problem later, right? Like, I had this against Allie, and this, this happened in the game I punted, so it ultimately didn't matter, but it was, like, Yes, he kept Karakasing me, but, like, Mintz got up to, like, nine. So, yeah. assuming I don't put myself to three life, like, once I answer that Karakas, like, I can just start flinging stuff left and right. And it, you know, maybe I'll fling a hamster this time. Maybe I'll fling something else, like. But now you just have this Planeswalker that has huge loyalty and is, like, absurd when it's in play. So, like, that's also a big issue. Yeah, you just putting in, like, a, a knight, even, like, a reclaimer, right? Like, I'm going to deal you three, I'm going to draw three. You don't draw three. For this minus two, it's still huge. You don't draw with reclaimer. Only draw no, for the hamster. Only I'll draw for the hamster. Okay, so instead I'm just going to three ball you with this this reclaimer, or I'm going to, like, eight ball you with this uh, knight of the reliquary. Like, that's going to end the game pretty quickly, too, even if the hamster is not actually getting through. Um... Out of interest, because I it sounded interesting was that um, Grixis Temple deck you were talking about from uh, uh, Nook's Tom. Yeah, yeah. So he came in ninth. Um, it's a uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool. I wouldn't really expect people to be playing it this weekend, although it felt powerful. But I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because, like I said, don't really expect people on it. Um, but I guess be aware if you do see you know, somebody with Grixis, like, they might have snuff out, so account for that when you're doing your combat math. I just want to acknowledge the fact that this Psycho has only three GRCs, so that means they drew all three GRCs with you, and then they drew their one snuff out. <laughs> yeah, trust me, I, I noticed all of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so good. <laughs> all right. Um, you, you know what else happened that match that I didn't even mention? Um, hmm. They unholy heated. This happened in game two. They unholy heated an Elvish Reclaimer. And they only had two types in their yard. And I had a Flagstones and a Wasteland. And I was like, oh, cool. I can like, I can Wasteland my Flagstones, put two more lands in my yard, get a 3-4, and be safe. Like, it hmm. sucks because I'm giving up the Wasteland. But, like, you know, at least the Flagstones is neutral. So I let them do their surveil, and then I do it. I I wasteland myself, not actually looking at what they surveilled. They surveilled Baleful Strix, so I added two times. I just <laughs> lost my reclaimer and wastelanded myself. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> oh man. All right, excuse me while I go to try to build this deck real quick. Yeah, Baleful uh, Strix real good for Delirium. Uh, also, the Jace Friends Prodigy is wild to me. I love that card. 
Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite cards that like d- does not really see play in modern anymore, and I'm kind of upset about it. But yeah, I mean this this deck actually does seem really really cool. Um, and you know we were talking before about the blue black shadow deck showing up a little bit more co- uh, more often, having a good matchup versus the Delver deck. Um, I imagine, I mean, this is something pretty close to what our friend um, Brendan would play. I, I think I imagine this deck also has a decent Delver matchup. Uh, just the way it's constructed with the Baleful Strixes. Uh, I mean, you're still playing Murktide Regent, but you have the um, like the Snuff Outs and you know the Unholy Heats and stuff like that. Uh, no Lightning Bolts, notably, I guess. But I- I'm assuming you have a decent Delver matchup here still. You have to. There's no way you don't. I also just want to like throw out there. This man had three Dragon's Rage Channelers, couldn't find room for the fourth, but was able to play two Jace Friends Prodigy. I mean, some cards are better than other cards, man. I don't have to tell you. <laughs> also, <laughs> just the fact that, like, you know, we're making it that e- much easier to turn on the Delirium by having the Jaces, and we still found room for four Bobbles to go with the four Baleful Strikes, which I, I do kind of appreciate, because I... Yeah. Hate uh, like having three types for your delirium and then like not being able to find a bobble is super frustrating. But like mm-hmm. playing eight seems like overkill. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and once again, this is one of those decks that like I I would like to assume that this is like a well crafted masterpiece and there's grains of sand really balancing mm-hmm. between numbers and here and there. But like. I see three DRCs, two Jace Divinity Prodigies, three Murktides, two Days, three Hymns, one Snuff Out, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know about any of this, but I let's assume that this is correct. So I'll be Go honest, um, Nukestime is like a known player, and their mm-hmm. lists often look wild, but they are very, you know, consistently able to do well with them. So I don't know if it's Brewer's advantage. Uh, maybe that is the case, but I. I, I do think that it is likely just a well-constructed deck. Um, you know, I think some of it probably is Brewer's Advantage, people not knowing how to play against things. But I, I'm going to go ahead and say I think every decision here was very well thought out. Um, you know, maybe if a million people were working on it, we would come to different numbers. But, like, I don't think any of this is an accident. I don't think him doing no, it is an accident, and I don't think the list is. Yeah, and, like, especially the... The lands, you know, there's three thieves, uh, three Volks, and one Badlands. Like, that is, I think, probably well thought out in your deck that's playing Expressive Iteration and him to Torok, um, potentially on turn two. Uh, but then also, like, you're looking at this deck that has two Wastelands in the main deck, but then also has a third one on the sideboard for the matchups you need it. Like, I think there is a, a lot of consideration here for the numbers and what we're trying to do to keep them out, the mana being considerate. I actually you forgot to even mention the Baleful Tricks as a potential spell on turn two. Like, this is this is definitely constructed a lot better than than, keep, uh, than people might give it credit for at first glance. Yeah. Uh, so the Wasteland Point brings me to the next thing I wanted to touch on from the showcase. Um, if anybody follows Matthew Fook and the work that he puts into the format, he came in 23rd, which I know doesn't sound great, but I mean... It was still a 6-2 finish, so 6-2 ranged from, like, I don't know, like, ninth place down a long ways. Um, mm-hmm. And he's actually not playing any Wasteland. And you, 
if you look back through like his Twitter history, he's been playing some with Wasteland, some without, sometimes with only two. Um, Gould Ducat has also been on No Wasteland. So I do think that is something worth keeping an eye on. Um, Wasteland's like, you know, <laughs> your deck is so low to the ground and Wasteland doesn't actually cast any of the spells. So it can be a setback when you're just trying to churn through your deck as fast as you are. Uh, obviously, cutting Wasteland does make you weaker to, you know, people like me who are showing up trying to do things with their lands. But it does also kind of make you a more cohesive deck. Um, so just, you know, be aware that you might see people without Wastelands in their Delver decks this weekend. Like, if you are two games in and you haven't seen one and you're playing around it in game three, like, you're messing up. Uh, you are letting them get value just off of, like, off of fear because, like, you know, you're buying into what the format has been for quite some time. But I, I am seeing more and more people not playing with Wasteland. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because this is, you know, normally the, the deck, the stock list, I'm just going going off of memory here, the stock list, you only play, like, eight fetches. This is one that's playing nine. Um, so even though you're cutting the four you know, four wastelands, you you still have 16 lands here, which feels a little bit low, but you're playing four baubles, so you're actually drawing through your deck a little bit easier. Um, and we talked about this uh, previously, too, but, like, having four baubles in your deck with four Delver Secrets and with four Dragon Rage Channeler, it's a little bit of synergy there. So there's a lot of, like, little edges you get just from playing uh, this lower deck. Um, and... The number of times I've had Expressive Iteration hit Wasteland, I'm like, I really don't want this anywhere near my hand right now. And, like, I guess I'll just let this sit in exile. Um, it, it's very high. So there are definitely a lot of benefits here. Uh, I, I could be wrong about this, too, but I have seen, like, a general trend of people, and I think, you know, Matt is probably the one leading the charge here, but, yeah, like, the number of Wastelands have been going down uh, considerably in the Delver decks, like, going down to, you know, I've seen three a lot, I've seen two. The list I was going to test actually was three, but I think I'm going to test this version this week. I, I think I only have time to do uh, two or three leagues uh, before the pit, so I think I'm going to try to run through this deck, see if I like this. Um, the the other thing about this, too, that I think came up uh, from Matt was saying the Unlicensed Hearth wasn't good. I think that's, that's one of the cards that uh, he was looking to to move around potentially. Yeah, he said the hearse was bad and counterbalance was good, um, which <laughs> can't agree. I think I mentioned this also around the time of Baltimore. Like I was playing some blue red mirrors uh, with a friend of ours, and we had a you know we had plenty of good games, but we also had like three games in a row that were just decided by which one of us resolved counterbalance first. Um, yeah. The card is <laughs> messed up <laughs> in these Delver movies. It's messed up against a lot of matches. Um, mm. Especially when you have just so much manipulation on the top of your deck. So, really like the counterbalance. Um, I've never really been enamored with the thought of Unlicensed Hers. I still, like, I don't know if you've played with it, but like you said, I know he was unimpressed, and I've but I've heard plenty of people say, like, oh, this card was amazing, wouldn't leave them without it. And then I also have seen plenty of people be like, oh, this two-mana do-nothing. So, so the, I like I like the card personally, but you have to be patient with it, because it, it just dies really easily. Uh, so the 
only times I activate it to like actually crew it, I guess, are when I am going to be able to like, get through without having to worry about it dying. Like I, I'm not trying to spend a force of will to protect it. I don't want to do any of that. I'm just gonna try to activate it. It's just a relic presented us that costs two mana and it hits two cards. That's that's the way I think about it until it kills you. Um, but you also just need to be proactive with it. Um, a lot of people end up getting this into this weird pattern where they try to start exiling cards at the last possible minute and you really just have to be aggressive in how you're exiling cards uh, just because it I mean I think we know this from the play pattern from modern uh, as well as legacy but like it's really easy to you know end a turn bolt you brainstorm fetch uh, I'm going to you know crack this bauble and then untap here's three mana I have a merc tide go and you're like wait what happened you had no cards a second ago so like you still need to be making sure you're taking care of that graveyard as much as possible so that doesn't happen. Because um, that ends up, you know, happening a lot more than people give it credit for. Um, and once your graveyard, your opponent's graveyard is empty, then your timing gets really off where you don't necessarily want to do it now because now they only have one card and one card's not a big deal. And also they have a Murktide down now, so, like, I don't really want to exile their one Brainstorm to make their Murktide bigger. It ends up just being really, really awkward, uh, in the mirror at least. Uh, but... I have just been, like, casting it pretty aggressively on, like, turn two or three and then kind of slow playing the matchup in the mirror, at least. And the Hearth ends up doing pretty good work like that. But um, late, it's really awkward. Um, but it the number of times, too, where, like, my opponent has a, a Dragon Rage Channeler and attacks in and I'm like, yep, I'm going to exile your creature and your spell. So you have a 1-1 now. Block. <laughs> Uh, it's really high, so it, it does do some really good things, but it, it definitely can be awkward. Um, and it's definitely not as powerful as counterbalance is in the matchup too, like you like you kind of mentioned. So it, it has some, I don't say weird tension, but it it's not always well positioned. And there are definitely times you would prefer it to be a a pyroblast or a hydroblast or a counterbalance. Like I don't think you necessarily need to have that card for this matchup in particular. Like you're probably it's it's something that there are better cards for the mirror and then it leads you to like well is this the best thing for my reanimator matchup eh, probably not but it's consistent but it doesn't go off for turn one so maybe it's not good enough but i do think reanimator will be popular though and obviously the mirror will be the most popular so having a card that is good in both of those matchups is still i think totally reasonable yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so and like that's one of those things too. It's just like it it needs to fill the hole appropriately, and like this could be something like Grafdigger's Cage. Like if you are trying to hedge a little bit more towards elves and also hit Reanimator, like maybe Cage is just better. Um, it, it just depends on what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. But I think I think for this sideboard, I definitely understand where the hearth is coming from. Um, but once again, I actually could imagine this being a, uh, a cage instead, just because, like, if you're trying to deal with L specifically, you have the rough tumble, uh, you do have counterbalances, but I'm not really hot on them in, the, in that matchup anyway, so then you've got one card you probably want to bring in. Like, I'm not bringing in Submerge typically in first L either, so, like, one card I'm going to bring in. Like, that's probably the cage there would be nice to, as a second pretty strong card. I think you're supposed to bring in some red versus elves. I don't. 
I, I, I feel like it's not high value enough. I think uh, when they were on Glimpse, I wouldn't. But if they're on the Fiend Artisan build, I would bring it in. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's a higher value target. And they're not going as wide. They're going taller. So I guess that makes sense to bring in some merge there. Yeah, it's a matchup I haven't played since... Um, I haven't played that matchup since Fiend Artisan has been has been out. So maybe it's something I need to re- reevaluate. Um, let's see. Other big things... Uh, just worth noting from like the last time we really had a large in-paper um, event is, you know, we've seen a real big decline in both A-cast and death and taxes. But I would, mm-hmm. and I, I generally think that the paper meta is more in line with the online meta than people make it out to be. But I would mm-hmm. still expect those decks to be more represented in paper just because they are like v- very cheap, like, well, they're not very cheap, right? Like, Magic's expensive in general. But they are mm. relatively cheap and, you know, pretty competitive decks. So I would um, I would definitely be prepared for them. Like, you know, don't go crazy. Don't go, oh, Death and Taxes is the cheapest, like, tier one deck. So, like, half the room is going to be on it. Because that's, that's obviously not the case. But, like, have a plan. Yeah, I mean, the deck, the, that deck always shows up a lot more than I kind of expect. I mean, Death and Dex is obviously the same boat um, as a deck that people, I feel like, seem to have, like, in their backpacks. Or, like, you know, like, they take off their shoe and they're just like, oh, Death and Dex, it just fell out. Um, that's just one of those decks, uh, for better or worse. Um, I do kind of expect, just because I, I think the play patterns for it are, are simple enough that if you haven't played the format in a while... Um, it's easy enough to pick up, but it's also fun. I also kind of expect the Moon Stompy deck to, to show up in some numbers. Yeah, uh, plus Stompy has been on the rise in general. Like, if you look at uh, the top 32 for the Showcase Challenge, Moon Stompy was the second most popular deck behind Delver. Um, yeah. It's got twice as much as the next deck. So, mm-hmm. it, it definitely does something really, really unique in the format, just because it is... I, I feel like, you know, we're talking about these four-color piles that are, you know, playing all these planeswalkers and things like that, like being able to just cast a turn one Blood Moon does a lot of work in this format. Um, being able to actually ca- throw down a Trinisphere versus, like, 8-cast or um, Epic Storm something like that, it's, there's a lot of benefits to being playing, playing this deck right now um, in this kind of meta, and, you know, I, I think... Looking at it, I mean, listening to, um, we talk, I think we talked about this episode, uh, XJ was on um, was Everyday Eternal, right? Uh, no. Yes. Right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Everyday Eternal uh, last week, two weeks ago. And one of the things that uh, he had mentioned was the fact that, like, you know, you win a lot of the Delver game, but the ones that you end up losing are the ones where they go over the top with Murktide. Um, if, I mean, if... If that's the plan, and I, from my side, I think that is typically what I try to do as well. Um, you can really kind of leverage that the, the way that Delver wins the game to construct a pretty pretty solid plan uh, nine times out of ten. So, yeah, I think it's a, a good place to be. Um, so for those who are listening, if you are playing this deck. Please, please, please do yourself a favor. Go to midmaxblog.com. Uh, there are two articles from XJ on how to play this deck. I would definitely read those. Um, 
Also, it's crazy how fast he writes his articles. It's like actually yeah, absurd. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, if you did listen to that Everyday Eternal at the end, you probably heard him say he was coming on here, and then you might notice he has not been on here. Uh, he is not lying to you. Uh, we did not get into a fight or anything. <laughs> timing, <laughs> timing has just uh, not been great, and Twitter might have not sent one of my messages for <laughs> for a while. Um, so we decided to just kind of put that on hold. He is uh, planning to make his appearance after he wins the next Buffalo Chicken Dip, um, which, you know, cool he is shot. planning to win. So <laughs> I love it. I love to see it. I mean, hopefully, I was looking at Twitter today, I think he's planning on playing the Mind Goblin, so uh, uh, we'll he's see actually, how that works. He's planning to play the Initiative Snoppy, um, so I'm really glad he's not coming to the pit now, because... I'll be honest, I have not actually learned what that does yet. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen all the discourse. I have, like, a vague understanding. Uh, you tried to explain it to me once, but I, like, stopped listening halfway through, so... That tracks. Yeah. It's it's basically the monarch... Yep, don't care. <laughs> okay, well, there we go. Um, okay, cool. Well, we... I know we don't want the show to be, like, two hours, um, but we do have... We had some questions that pulled up. Um, that we got from Twitter, and I think a lot of them do end up kind of lining up, whether you're playing Depth or Delver or whatever, right? So let's try to jump into some of these questions here. Uh, let's see. So let's start with Robert Wilson. Uh, one thing I'm just talking about Buffalo Chicken Dip, right? Um, Robert Wilson asked, uh, what cards slash patterns do you think Delver could adopt to be better positioned versus Naya Depth? Um... So I was told not to answer this, um, and you know it's probably not in my best interest to answer it because I'm too lazy to learn a new new deck between now and and Saturday. Plus, you know, there's just sure. not that much time. You know, I do own that deck that Nam played for the most part, so mm-hmm. it's, it's tempting. But anyways, uh, best answers. Well, one awkwardly not cutting your wastelands, right? <laughs> um, but I do think cutting your wastelands is still best for Delver. Also, uh, you know, Vuk is playing Price of Progress in his sideboard, which people have played on and off. I don't... That card's really awkward to me, because I think, uh, you know, if your opponent's not expecting it, then it is very good. Um, you know, I think if it's on the depth player's radar, then they can play around it, but, like, it probably won't be on their radar, right? So, like, if you get them with a game two, it might not be good game three, but, like, uh, it is going to be good for... At least one of the games, I think. Um, Caracas is an answer I know a lot of people play on their sideboard. I personally don't really like the Caracas, especially if you're going to cut your wastelands. I don't think Caracas is a particularly strong answer um, because it's, you know, like, yes, you can activate it at instant speed, but you have to play it at sorcery speed, right? So mm-hmm. I think that just gives the depth player too much control and too much information going into it. Um, and again, especially if you're not playing Wasteland, because it's like, you know, we'll, we'll make the Merit Lage on our turn to play around maybe you drawing a Wasteland, uh, so then you would play the Krakens and you do get us there, but like, if you're not playing the Wastelands, we don't have to play around it, then I think the Krakens just gets even worse. Um, I think Submerge is still the best answer. Uh, that card is really good. Um, other answers... Daniel Gulchel has been high on repeal. Um, hmm. 
I do not think I would register that, but, you know, I could be wrong. Um, Brazen Borrower is possibly the best pick. I would say it's between that and Submerge. Um, yeah, those are really the ones I would go with. But, again, I, I don't know how deep I would go on them. Because it's like, you need to have sideboard slots for other decks. Um, for... I still don't think Grid White is nearly as played as it should be based off of how good it is. Like, mm -hmm. obviously I'm biased, right? Because I've been on the deck on and off for three years. But if you look at the numbers it's put up over the time, it consistently has been one of the best decks at certain points. I would, I think you can make a very clear argument that it was the best deck. And I don't know, people just like don't pick it up. I don't know if it's because they don't want to buy Mox Diamonds or if it's because they don't want to put down Brainstorm. But... For whatever reason, I don't think the deck is super well represented. So I, I would just, you know, two Brazen Borrowers and or Submerges and just kind of move on from there. Yeah, I mean, I think that it definitely is one of those decks that, especially in larger events, it ends up always being in the top eight, one or two slots. And I think it's been like that for the past two years, probably, where you kind of expect it to show up somewhere. Um, and once again, like, you know, it, it's not always just you, right? It's, I mean, Rodney's been into some top eights here and there. There's some pe been people, um, like, I, I'm going to, I'm pretty sure, uh, Adam Wolzman, I can't pronounce his last name. Adam Wasburn Moses. Um, uh, yes. Ezra Christensen. Um, um, um who else have we seen do well? Dan Neely just won a challenge with it, but... Mm -hmm. Still, even despite all the successes, you still don't see it largely picked up. Like, even looking at the mm -hmm. Showcase Challenge, I was the only person on the deck in the top 32. I don't remember how many people were on the deck in general, but I don't think the number was that large. Uh, no, I'm looking at it, there was... Well, you're looking one at the top person, 32. Top, yeah, the top 32, right? So, there... Let me try to see if I can find it from... Um, the information from Joe Dyer. Uh, it looks like there were eight. Which is eight not out of two hundred and twelve. Like that's not. Yeah. It's not that. Not many. nearly enough. No, especially considering. I mean, like, like Oops had ten. So like you're below Oops levels. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Um, yeah. So I just I you know I would be hesitant to play too many narrow sideboard cards that are good in a matchup that's not super popular. Like, yeah. it's okay to just have bad matchups, I think. I like. I think I would honestly rather use that, those slots a lot of times to shore up other spots, and just, like, losing the depths is fine. I mean, again, I am definitely biased, but, like... Sure. But if, it, if it's 4 to 5% of the room, like, it, how many cards do you want to devote to that in your sideboard? Like, the one submerge, I feel like, is a, is a good enough concession. Like, if you're if you're going to see it, the, the submerge is going to do work there. Like you said, it, it's decent versus the Fiend Artisan version of Elves. So, I think that's reasonable. And I think, obviously, main deck, uh, Brazen Barter, is just something that's good in the format in general. Like, yes. bouncing a, a permanent to solid. Bouncing a Merktide Regent will never be bad. So. Nope. So, yeah, I think that's a, a good call. And, like, you know, I have played with Caracas before, and, like, I just, like, 
don't like having that be one of my lands in my deck. Like it's it's somehow worse than Wasteland uh, <laughs> in in a lot of times. So like I'm not interested in really doing that either. So uh, so uh, our friend Dugs, if you haven't checked out Dugs on Twitch, uh, Dugs is one of our favorite streamers. Uh, most pilots of Nia Depths have a good general understanding of which matchups entice a fast combo and when you need to grind the mid-range plan of Reclaimers and Knights. Do you have any matchups where you're still pondering which is best? Uh, so I don't know if this is a trick question on purpose, but I would call this a trick question. Um, what is best in the matchup is completely dependent on what I draw in my opening hand. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, like... In the combo matchups, having the quick combo is, like, always best, right? But, like, mm -hmm. in any fair matchup, it's just, like, it's very contextual. Like, yes, I know a fast Merrill is always going to kill goblins, for instance. Uh, well, other than, like, they're one of Sting Scourger. But, like, True. also big knights will also just kill goblins. It, mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's like that for a lot of matchups. Like I mentioned against Delver, um, you know, I've had plenty of kills with Merrill Age against Delver, but I also have plenty of times where I make the Merrill Age, it dies, and I'm like, whatever, I have this 10-10 knight. Um, mm. So I, I really think it's very contextual. I, I don't normally go into it. Like, yes, I have a plan of what I want to do, but I'm just so flexible at this point. <laughs> so talking about being flexible, uh, our friend Newton Hang, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, uh, congrats on the finish. I think some players looking to pick up depth for the Legacy Pit Open would like to know is, what changes would you make to the deck and why? Um, so I mentioned I had made changes kind of at random. Um, my mapping did not line up. I have I was really tired yesterday. I'm kind of busy at work today. Uh, tomorrow, I think I'm going to have an easy day at work, so I will probably actually figure out what my list is going to look like. Um, because that's what a good employee does, is spend their time thinking about Magic the Gathering instead of doing their job. Um, but I would just change a couple slots on my sideboard. I think my main deck is close to, if not perfect. I haven't decided if the Mints is going to stay main or not. It, I mean, it was good, right? Like, you heard all the times I said the Mints won me the match. Um, mm -hmm. But I definitely don't want too many. I don't love raising my curve, especially not if I'm not going to add more lands, and I don't want to add more lands. I hate the list that are playing like 30 to 32 lands. I hate Maze of Ith, so I'm never adding that. Like, I love playing with Prismatic Ending. I, that card is so good. Um, I do think there is an argument for adding the Taiga to the deck. Um, I will not do it, even if it's correct, because I don't want to buy another FBB Taiga. <laughs> That's expensive, and I am. Uh... <laughs> yes. Okay. Fair. I mean, everyone has their reasons. Look, man. Uh, you know, I've been known to make concessions to my mana for the style before. Mm -hmm. Like, I there was a while where I was actively telling other people to register snow covered basics because we were. Uh, you might play into the north, um, but either way, you would hide that information, and I just wouldn't because I was like, I. I refuse. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I... I don't actually think we even necessarily need the additional red source. Like, it hasn't really come up 
for me too much. And I really like playing the second forest. Uh, the second forest is what a lot of people are turning into, either the second taiga or the second um, wedded foothills. My mana base is basically always look different, but I, and one of the reasons I'm actually on the two forests is one, Delver, uh, some of the games I was losing were just me being wastelanded out. So having forest, forest planes means I can cast every card in my deck um, other than like Green Sun Zenith for Night or um, or the Minsk, which the Minsk isn't my plan anyways, right? Mm -hmm. And I can just play a land in Green Sun Zenith for the Night. So the other thing about it is it protects me a little bit from Price of Progress, which was a card I was starting to lose to sometimes um, yeah. because I just refused to acknowledge that it existed because I, full disclosure, don't think it's great in the Delver sideboard. Um, so I just like... Now they'll all start cutting it sooner or later, and then they didn't start cutting it sooner or later. So I just like made a minor change to my deck, and like have not lost a price of progress since. Um, my sideboard mapping, though, like I said, was the big thing that was off. I have too many cards for fair decks. So again, in the seventy-five, I think there will drop back down to two Menskin booze, um, which many people were very happy to hear me say because they did not want to buy a third Menskin boo. Um, mm. I will likely turn that spot into an anti-combo card. Uh, currently, I'm leaning towards Thorn of Amethyst. I would like to play, I believe, two copies of that and two copies of Deafening Silence, but I have to figure out exactly where I want them. Uh, it's possible the second Thorn is better as a Sphere of Resistance for the reasons I said earlier. Um, but I, I don't know. Like Being able to actually... like cast your threats and get pressure on the board I think is important, right? Like some of our threats can be slow. I'm looking at you and I have the reliquary. Um, so I don't want to make it cost four and not three. Makes sense. Uh, let's see, Captain Nintendo, which is a cool name. Uh, I'm going to be playing Lance. Uh, how does Lance beat Doomsday right now? Uh, what are Lance's favorite matchups? Um, so if you want lands content, the best place to go is pendrelveil.com or follow Ali on Mitko on Twitter, um, which Ali actually conveniently answered the question, but I'm just going to reiterate it here as we were going to say the same things. Um, I know he has been very high on playing the card Thran Foundry. He has said he hasn't really lost the Doomsday very much since putting that card in his deck. If I were on Urza Saga, I would be registering Thran Foundry. Um, if I'm not on Saga, I'm not playing that card. So if you're not on Saga, don't even look it up. Um, if you are on Saga, see if <laughs> you can order one for next day shipping and get it in time for the pit. Um, so that uh, mana denial can work against them sometimes. Uh, Ali said that, but I'm not huge on that plan because what I find happens a lot of the time is even when they're just on one land, they Dark Ritual into Doomsday and like kill you they only need one land in play when it goes off uh granted it's easier for him because he has the ports and he is on four sphere of resistance um which is part of why i want to try this sphere of resistance right i think that we could end up in similar spots um torpor orb is really good against them um dress down is really good against them um you're probably not playing Dress Down in your deck because you are an Urza Saga deck and you would have to be on blue. Blue is generally one of the weaker splashes for lands. Um, I don't want to say generally. Having Fluster Storm is really nice. Fluster Storm and Uro. 
Um, and then if you're playing Uro, the dress sound raises in value some too. Uh, but yeah, just the mana denial, um, any any uh, red blast you have, endurance is, I think, often overstated, but I would bring in every endurance you have as a possible, maybe you get them with a, with the fastest Oracle trigger on the stack. In general, I don't think the matchup is great, but I would just aggressively mulligan to his fear of resistance and then have as many answers for it in your sideboard as you can. Okay. Oh, that's fair. I mean, and that's kind of like what we see, uh, like, death attacks do versus kind of graveyard strategies, right? Like, they just load up on answers to that matchup, assuming that everything else will be covered by the main deck. So, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like, you're so favored against most fair decks. Uh, let's uh, talk about uh, Hammy Slammy uh, asking two questions here. Um, do you personally feel that green-black turbo depths, mono-black depths, or rainbow depths are decent paper choices for a larger metagame? The first question here. Um, so I think basically as long as you are comfortable with your deck, you can play them. I don't really see a reason to play one of them over green-white depths, personally. Uh, I think, you know, just the... I just think green-white is so much more robust than all of them, but obviously you can't have strong finishes with all of them. Like, you still see them in the leagues constantly. Uh, Green-black did just top 16 the showcase challenge. Um, so, I, you know, I still think they're good choices, especially... Green, black, and rainbow. Uh, I don't necessarily think you need to be on rainbow right now. A big draw to that deck is playing around submerge, and people aren't really on submerge at the moment. So I think you get you know slightly better mana, slightly less painful mana by just playing straight green, black. Um, I, I think it's a fine choice. You're you're still actually pretty good against Delver, and I think that's the best place to be. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about that. You're a little bit worse against Besaju, so I don't love that. But, I mean, if you're on Turbo versus Slow, then you do have the Pithing Needles, so you do have answers for everything. So, yeah. too long, didn't read. If you are confident at playing the deck, yes, play it. Uh, second question, I'm trying to figure out what, they, what uh, Hammy Flame is trying to say. Um, when preparing for a large event such as the Legacy Pit Open, give us a tier list, uh, rooming, car mates, food and area, snacks, bathroom quality. So I, I'm just going to say, like, what, which of these is, like, most important, I guess, is, is what they're getting at? Uh, people you are in the car with is probably the most important because that's who you're spending the most amount of time with. Uh, mm -hmm. Very important. Um, speaking of which, I need to talk to you about the, the carpooling situation. Um, yeah, yeah. Rooming is... After car mates, I think food, then room. Uh, bathroom quality basically doesn't matter as long as they can pee. Um, mm -hmm. And snacks are good. I, I don't I don't know. If we're looking for, like, what's the best, uh, personally, I'm a big fan of nuts as my snack of preference. I'm really mm -hmm. big fan of honey-roasted cashews. Billy can't do honey-roasted stuff because he, I don't know, is stupid and gets bad reactions to it. <laughs> um, what, actually, what is your favorite snack? My favorite snack? I do like, uh, so I do like trail mix. Tromax, I think, is legit. Um, jerky is another one that I, I really enjoy. Same. Um, I I used to do, like, 
dried fruit, which I think is actually another kind of underrated one because it's the only downside is it makes your hands sticky. You need to like wash your hands between rounds. But... The other downside is it's bad. What Dr- dried fruit? No, it's delicious. A little dried mango action, some some raisins. Ooh, Ugh, I hate raisins. Man, I, I will I give you. I think dried mango is the best of the dried fruits. Dried mango is so good. Yeah, it's wild. Even like like banana chips, like stuff like that. It's just like. And now you're trying to kill me. Well, yeah. I mean, you specifically, yes, but. I think like a lot of those things end up being really good. I I actually mentioned this. Uh, I think um, Duke's actually brought this up, but my big thing is trying to make sure that whatever food you're trying to put in your body during the event, because you do need food, right? I mean, like we're gonna be playing a lot of magic over two days. You need to make sure that you have energy in your body, but like it, it has to be stuff that your body's gonna be able to process pretty smoothly. So something like like fruit, for example, has natural sugars. It's not processed. Um, so your body's going to be able to process it without having to, you know, work overtime, like something like chocolate or something like, um, a donut, right? Like that's going to take a lot of energy and you're going to feel really sluggish afterwards. Like you're trying to make this as smooth as possible. Um, fruit also has the benefit of allowing you to go to the bathroom pretty easily. So like you can go to the bathroom between rounds. You're not going to have a, a, a full gut. You can concentrate on your magic playing, not on how uncomfortable you are. So I'm, like, a big fan of, um, once again, dried fruit, uh, trail mix, and, like, just bottles and bottles of water. So that's that's kind of where I go to uh, when I'm trying to worry about food. But jerky is another one, too. I think if you are going to have something, some kind of meat, um, trying to, even if it's dried meat, like, I would avoid something that's, like, way over-processed, like, um, like Slim Jims or something like that. Uh, but something that allows you to have some amount of protein uh, going in that you can have, like, just a little bit, a little bit. Like, like something like jerky, like, I can buy, like, one pack of it and it'll last me the whole weekend. Um, even if I give a couple pieces to people here and there, uh, one pack of jerky should be more than enough if you're using it, eating it sparingly. Um, but that's a good way to get your, your protein levels back up. Yeah, I think jerky is a great pick. Jerky and nuts, definitely my two go-tos. And I'm definitely with you in the water. Um, I think you know I drink a lot of water at events. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, someone did ask, and I, don't, I just don't want to skip over them. I don't think you skipped over anyone. You're going the wrong direction. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, oh, wait. Uh, actually, it was fun. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Gizlo MTG. Uh, asked, uh, what's your general feel in the metagame right now? We kind of talked about that, you know, just kind of going through stuff, but uh, is Blue-Red Delver in a more reasonable place due to the format gunning for it, uh, or is that in and of itself an ongoing issue that should be approached somehow? Uh, I'm just, uh, I haven't answered a couple questions, so I, I want to jump in real quick on this one. Uh, I, I still feel like we're in a place where Blue-Red is a lot higher percentage-wise than it probably should be. Um, looking at the Legacy Showcase, it's 28%, which you kind of assume it'll be a higher percentage just because it is a very important event. But even the challenge the day before, it was 26%, which is very high. Uh, but then, like, there are some challenges where it's 13%, or, you know, it's 13% um, on the 17th and the 18th, those two challenges. And then, like, the Legacy Dip open, it was one person was playing Blu-ray Delver um, at the event. So, like, it, it's not like it's wildly overrepresented. It but it does seem to be a higher percentage in the quote-unquote events that matter. 
um, those, those bigger kind of events. And I assume at the Legacy Pit Open, it's going to end up being, you know, 20% of the room or something like that. But I'm I'm still personally okay with where the format is, but I'm obviously a little biased just because I'm playing <laughs> playing the deck a lot. Uh, for clarity for the listeners, when Billy said there was only one at the Legacy Pet Open, he meant one at the last Buffalo Chicken Dip. Thank you. Yeah, Buff- uh, Buffalo Chicken Dip Legacy 9 or 10? I guess they're 10 now. Oh, is that 9? I thought it was 9, but the sheet says 10. So... I'm going to go yeah, with the sheet. I, I went to nine. This is, so the next one was ten. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, numbers, they do go up sequentially. It's crazy. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, I think Blue Red Dover is too commonly played. I, I don't know. I have mixed feelings because I have... I am enjoying the Legacy format. I think the games are largely good. I do think Blue Red is too common. Um... And, you know, I'm also biased like you where I don't hate it because the games I have against it are largely good um, and I largely win them. Um, that being said, Murktide Regent is a just supremely unfun card, as I've said on numerous occasions. I, I do think, you know, I regardless of personal feelings, I would want something done just because a lot of legacy players aren't enjoying themselves. I... Hmm. You know, I'm not going to go into what I think should be banned, but I, I would not call the format healthy. Um, I also think the fact that black largely doesn't exist is not great, right? Like, we saw, obviously, that Grixis deck, um, and we talked about green-black depths, but, like, those are that's it for the black decks? Like, uh, that's not cool. Um, I, I was wondering earlier, I was like, can you just, like, play Jund right now? <laughs> like... I probably, but like I don't. There's like not many combo decks. No, there's not, and and like the format is, I don't say more fair, but it's it's slow enough. I think you could get away with being the person playing abrupt decay or something like that. Like I think abrupt decay is legitimately just good in this format right now. <laughs> um, it you know it hits a lot of the hate pieces. It is encounterable, which is obviously huge. Um, it's still going to be able to hit, you know, at worst a. Um, token from um, a Urza Saga, like, that's not exactly what I'm bringing it in for, but, like, it's not terrible, and, like, honestly, the other spell-based things you get out of being in Grixis, I, I don't think are terrible, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like that deck, if it were if it were good enough, like, I think would be seeing play already, and I just feel like we're just not in a, a spot where you playing Abrupt Decay Fatal Push, Tarmogoyf is, like, reasonable. I mean, that's assuming we play the old builds, right? Like, I think there are new cards that I want to see people experimenting with. And you get to, you know, top it off with our boy Minsk. But I don't know if you're... I just don't... I can't imagine what the deck looks like. Like, you're you're right. Like, I I am kind of basing it off the old model um, from, you know, 20... 18 about what the Jun deck would look like, but I, I don't know what I'm adding to the deck. Like, Minsk is, Minsk is Boo is great, but like, is is the Jun deck like a good Minsk and Boo deck? Like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> like, I, I think you're actually playing something with like ignoble high arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know if you're playing Goyf or not. I think rather than Decay, uh, you would rather have Trophy. I don't think Liliana's great. I don't know necessarily know what I want at three. Maybe just um, maybe just Sables, maybe Season Pyromancers. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't think you necessarily lean on the discard. Uh, I do think mm -hmm. Assassin Trophy is actually just a totally reasonable to good card because it cleans up Murktide Regen and it cleans up um, it cleans up Minskinpoo. Like you don't fight on the hand discard access because you're never gonna be able to out advantage things. But I think you can just like play enough powerful cards. And I don't think you're super worried about combo matchups because you just kind of rely on Delver keeping everything in check. Which obviously is full of risk. <laughs> you like I'm not <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it's not, but like, you know, that's my strategy and like it clearly works for me more often than not. I mean, obviously not foolproof looking at you, Max, but it's a it's a strategy. I just like I'm not sure what you in the, in the past three years, right? Like, I mean, the the modern uh, the master set has been like the big thing, kind of pushing most of the decks into hyperspeed, and like I feel like the big things you get out of modern masters and modern masters two is like Dotty Voidwalker. I... That card's really good though. <laughs> that card's best when you pair it with discard, but you also get like Fury and Endurance. Those cards are busto. So like. Yeah, and, like, that's, that is true. Like, I do like both of those cards, but like, I just feel like the deck ends up not having anything that, like, pulls me towards wanting to play it. Actually, I think I just want to play red-green with, like, Ancient Tombs, maybe two City of Traders, and just, like, big things. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm more on board with that. Like, that, like, if you want to play the deck that allows you to play, like, a turn, I don't know, turn... Two Blood Moon, or like potentially like a turn three Minskin Boo. Like, I guess that, that's better, but like. I, I guess I literally just want to play the Apple Jacks list that's been going around. Um, anyways, back to the sure. questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, let's go with this one here. Uh, I see that Gaddock Teague is making its way back into sideboards. Uh, can you elaborate more on that? Um, Gaddock is, like, one of the worst cards in the sideboard, but I also think it's perfectly fine for what it does. It's it's never going to overperform, but it's kind of the same thing we were saying with, like, Unlicensed Hearse earlier, where it's just kind of good in a plethora of matchups, right? Like, it's kind of good against Elves, because I would say their Green Sun Zenus are just better than your Green Sun Zenus. Um... And, like, that's true of any deck that's not Elves. <laughs> like, Elves, Green Suns, Eos are just better. Um, so it's good there. It, plus, stopping Natural Order is huge. That's what a lot of decks lose to. Like, especially if you can keep the Fiend Artisans and um, Shepherds off the table, then, like, you're kind of clear. Um, so it's good there. It's good against, like, some of the Storm decks, uh, which are not super played, but, like, I'm happy putting a Gattaca in a play against Ant, even if Ant is not super common. At least it's something. Um, it's not great against Ruby Storm, but still, if they're on the list where they need um, Echo of Ants, it's like not the worst. Uh, same thing for for Tess. Like it, stopping an Echo of Ants is like totally reasonable. It's not the first thing I would get there. Like the first thing I'm wishing for, or seeing a thing for there is Collector Oof. 
but you know it is an option um yeah it's just kind of a generic anti-combo card the nice thing about it is you know that you can green since you for it if it was the same effect on an artifact i don't think it would make the cut all right last question we're going to wrap up here with is from uh island delver go uh, how differently do you approach playing Turbo Depth versus Nigh Depth? Once again, I think you talked about this a little bit, but uh, what do you, you don't have the same mentality, right? You're you're thinking about the opening hands and whatnot slightly differently between these two. Yeah, I mean they're just completely different decks. Like, yeah. yes, a lot of the skills transfer over, and like if, as you get better at one, you'll likely get better at the other. But with Turbo, you kind of just like look at your hand, go, okay, does this have access to the combo by turn three? Yes, keep, no, don't keep. And then, like, you know, you have discards, so you get to kind of have that fast mentality. You know exactly what's going on, which makes it very easy to play around things. Um, with green-white, a lot of times you move slower and kind of get a feel for how things are going. Um, so it's just really two different mentalities. All right, and there are definitely a couple other questions, but we, we do need to wrap up. Uh, so let's wrap up then. Uh, uh, Maxon, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me this weekend at the Legacy Pit. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me this week also at the Legacy Pit. Oh, no way. Uh, Will I see you there? I, I think so, hopefully. That'd be fun. Cool. Maybe we'll meet in the finals. Oh, jeez. Um... No, but seriously, if you are going to be at the Legacy Pit Open, please uh, stop by, say hello. Uh, I'll, I'll, I usually post a picture of myself at the beginning of the event so people know what I look like with a mask on. But, uh, you know, we have our tokens still, so you can uh, meet us. We'll have tokens that to hand out if you would like one. We also will have stickers, which will be super exciting. Uh, but there are a limited amount. We're still uh, test running them to see if we like them or not. And we get them tomorrow, which I guess, you know, for people listening to the show on the day it comes out, we're getting them today on Wednesday. Um, so they probably won't make it through the week weekend. I think there's uh, less than 100. So if you are want to get one of a limited run of stickers, uh, let us know. All right, uh, Maxon, I will see you this weekend, I guess. I'll see you this weekend.